Did you know that real estate is the method where many people in America have become multimillionaires? Do you want to learn about real estate? Stand by. Welcome to the Real Estate Exam Podcast. This is a podcast where we will provide you sample lessons for the real estate exam for the states which we offer full real estate exam audio lessons. Our audio lessons are designed so that you can study for the real estate exam in your state while driving, exercising, or otherwise using time which would be unavailable for reading or looking at a computer monitor. For more information on the full series of lessons, which we have available in various states, go to reexampodcast.com. Good luck in your studies. A career in real estate sales can be extremely rewarding, but the first step is to get your real estate exam license. This is Franz. Welcome back to the third sample lesson entitled Violations of Real Estate Law. This is the third sample lesson of your five lessons sample series for this series of audio lessons. Welcome to this lesson entitled Violations of Real Estate Law. In this lesson, we're going to be talking about some of the things that can happen if a licensed person violates the law and what some of the consequences are, what some of the so the processes are by which that complaint is investigated, and that sort of thing. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. There are many different things that can happen, but when something happens, there is a procedure that is followed. A complaint has to be filed. There has to be an investigation into the complaint. The people investigating have to determine whether there is a probable cause, and then if there is a probable cause, then a formal complaint is filed. So first it's just kind of an informal procedure to make sure that there is something wrong. And if they determine that there is something wrong, then a formal complaint is filed. And then a hearing is conducted. That's a little bit like a trial. It's not exactly through the regular judicial system. And then a ruling is made, which in this case is called a final order. So it's decided whether or not the party is guilty. And if so, what needs to be done about it? So let's talk about a few different well, aspects of this that are a little bit more in depth. The first part is that a complaint is filed with a DPBR. It has to be a legally sufficient complaint. It can't be for something that someone just doesn't agree with. It has to be for something that's actually breaking the law. So the DPBR can issue what's called a notice of noncompliance for a first-time violation or for something that's a rather minor violation. So this is just sort of a slap on the wrist. It's something that goes in your file that shows, well, they they messed up in a small way for the first time. It's a little bit like a warning. It could stay there, and so if something else happens, they can then see, oh, well, we already issued a warning the first time, so they already know what they did wrong. So the next time, it's going to be a little bit more of a severe punishment, that sort of thing. Then the complaint is investigated. The complaint has to be in writing. And it doesn't have to be undersigned. It can be an anonymous complaint if the complaint is substantial enough. And it's the DBPR or the DRE that investigate. It's not the F 
REC. In some cases, they can even move to emergency suspend someone's license. So if they feel that there's enough cause, that something is going on that needs to stop immediately, that's putting someone in danger, it's a very serious offense that, that they can go ahead and, and put an emergency stop on someone's license until it's determined what the final verdict is. The investigation proceeds by creating what's called a probable cause panel. And this is two current members, or one current and one former member of the FREC. And this is not a public proceeding. This is done with just those two members. If they can find probable cause, then it continues. And if they don't find probable cause, it can be dismissed at that point. Or they can even issue what's called a letter of guidance, where they say, well, there's not enough to really take this farther, but here is maybe something that you can do better next time so that there's not the appearance of something going wrong. And then once there is probable cause that's been determined, a formal complaint is issued. And this formal complaint is in writing. It outlines any of the, the problems, the things that the person is accused with, but it also includes the rights that the person has, so who has been accused. And the licensee, the person who's being accused, can possibly, before it goes to an actual hearing, reach some sort of settlement with the DRE. So that they can offer to settle a kind of out of court. And if all parties are in agreement, then it doesn't have to go any farther than that. Another way that they can avoid getting the sort of taken to court or taken to task is that they can simply give up their license. This is a voluntary relinquishment of a license. And this just allows them to say, well, I'm going to just give this up and it doesn't need to go to court. So they, they lose their license of their own accord instead of being disciplined in another way. But unfortunately, this is a kind of a way that burns bridges. If you do this, you are permanently out of the real estate business. There is no possibility of you returning at a later date. You cannot be licensed again. That's simply sort of the option that cuts all ties with you for the business. Now, there are two different kinds of hearings. If this goes forward and discipline is still needed, they don't give up their license, two different kinds of hearings, the informal hearing and the formal hearing. The informal hearing basically is when the licensee does not dispute the charges. They can say, well, I sort of plead guilty to these charges and they sign that they understand their rights. They just meet in front of the commission. It's held during a regular commission meeting it doesn't, it's not its own separate thing. And, but the people who did the probable cause hearing don't participate in this particular hearing. And basically then the licensee just agrees that they did something wrong and the commission has to decide what sort of discipline is then in order. So that is an informal hearing. But then we have the formal hearing and that says that, that the licensee who's been accused does not agree with the charges. And so it goes to sort of more of a trial so it's mandatory if there's a dispute. Administrative law judge hears testimony from both sides. They have power to take witness testimonies, take testimony under oath, issue subpoenas. So it's more like an actual regular trial. And then this judge submits what's called a recommended order. So that includes all the things the judge found, what the judge concludes, and the recommended penalty. So the judge does all the work 
here's the testimony and creates sort of a document that is then handed over to the DBPR in order for them to make the final ruling on what should be done. They can either decide to take the judge's recommendations or not, but it's quite likely that they will take the judge's recommendations in most circumstances. So once the judge has made the ruling, the commission comes back together in what's called a final order meeting. Once again, the probable cause members don't participate, but then the commission just decides whether they're going to accept, reject, or even modify what the judge recommended. And they have to do this within 30 days after the final order has been issued. During these 30 days, the licensee still can operate like normal until the 30 days run out, and then the final order is put into practice. If the licensee is still in dispute, they can appeal, and they have to do that within 30 days of the final order being issued at the District Court of Appeals. They can request that the appeals courts then stop the penalty so that it's not enforced until the appeal has gone through. And this allows the licensee to still practice real estate until the case is heard on appeal. So in many cases, it's a good idea to try to get the appeal. But then again, if the appeal fails, then the original penalty can go back in force. So, but they can't still practice unless they have filed the appeal. They've got what's called an order of stay. The order of stay says that, okay, then the consequences from the hearing are not going to be enforced. And the order of stay has to be actually granted. So it's requested and granted. So if all of those things are true, then they can go ahead and keep practicing while the appeal is going on. So let's go ahead and then talk about some of the things that can happen, some of the penalties that can be enforced for someone who has been found guilty of an offense against their license. These three kinds of penalties are administrative, civil, and criminal. So let's go ahead and talk about the differences between these three kinds of penalties. So the first is administrative. This is something that is done just a to taking action on the license itself. A license can be denied. Uh, it can be denied renewal. They can get a letter of reprimand as a penalty that goes kind of goes in their file. A notice of non-compliance, as we talked about before, that's for first time or minor violations. They can also receive a fine of up to $5,000 per count, so per charge that was found guilty. That can be quite severe, so $5,000 per count. They can be suspended on their license, so they can have it revoked or non-renewed, or they can just have it suspended for up to 10 years. But after that time, they would able would be able to go through the requirements again and get a new license if they so wished. They could be put on probation, where they say, well, you can keep your license, but we're going to be watching you very closely, and if you mess up again, then you're like, there will be more severe penalties. And then finally, you can do revocation with prejudice, which means that it's revoked and they're not going to be able to get it back. So those are all administrative penalties. Those are something that can be done by the Real Estate Commission to somebody who is in violation of their license rules and regulations. The second are civil penalties. And now these are enforced by courts. And it's usually just for unlicensed people who perform real estate services or if a licensed person commits a fraud of some sort so that they'll get civil litigation, they can be sued in a regular court of law. So this is not 
the real estate commission coming after them with penalties. This is a civil court coming after them with penalties in certain circumstances. And then finally, we have criminal violations. And then these have to be reported to the state attorney. So these are actual crimes. They're not just violations against the license. They're violations against the law, the greater law in general. So when criminal violations happen, they have to be reported. The FREC can't issue incarceration orders so that somebody goes to jail. They also can't order restitution, so that's so giving monetary restitution, that sort of thing. So when somebody tries to practice real estate for compensation, though they're not licensed, or they falsify information on a license application, these are considered felonies, a third-degree felony. So the criminal penalty is a fine of not more than $5,000 and up to five years in prison. And the DBPR then issues what's called a cease and desist order or an injunction, which they means that they order the person to stop whatever activity it is immediately. You can also uh, be charged with a first-degree misdemeanor. That's a $1,000 penalty or a year imprisonment for failing to provide accurate and current rental information for a fee. That's a second-degree misdemeanor for all other violations of Chapter 475. Mm -hmm. So those are different so problems with that, so the real estate code. And so in order to help people who have been the victim of crimes, so in the real estate realm, the state of Florida has what's called the Real Estate Recovery Fund. And this is used to reimburse individuals and businesses who have had monetary damages as a result of someone who held a real estate license who violated their rules and regulations. So if they've been wronged by a licensed person, they can get reimbursed through this fund. The licensed person has to have had their license at the time of the act that caused the damage. The injured party has to file a civil suit. That civil suit has to be won against the licensee. And the reimbursement claims have to be made within two years of when the damage was discovered. If it's discovered right away, then two years from that time below or if it was perpetrated a while ago but not discovered until later, it's two years from the time of discovery. The claim is limited to $50,000 per transaction. Total claims against a single person can't be more than $150,000. And a when somebody has a claim like this taken out against them and it's successful, then the license of that person is automatically suspended until the fund is reimbursed. So the person who actually committed the crime, has to reimburse the fund. So let's say they there was a claim made, the fund reimbursed $20,000 to the person who lost money because of what the licensee did, then the licensee would then have to reimburse the fund for $20,000. And until that fund was reimbursed, the licensed person would have their license suspended. Now there are certain people that are not eligible to get money from the recovery fund so that the spouse of the offending licensee is not allowed to. Anybody who did business with somebody who did not have an active license, that would also not work. And if the judgment is against a business entity and not an individual, that also doesn't work. So there are definitely guidelines for when and how this is to be used. 
but it is a good thing for people who have been wronged so that they can get their money back right away. And then the person who tried to defraud them then has to make restitution for that. So that's one thing that the state of Florida has in place in order to protect its consumers. That's going to be all for our lesson for today. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the third sample lesson for the Florida Salesperson Real Estate Exam. The full series of audio lessons is available at reexampodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this lesson valuable. Again, we are offering audio lessons for the real estate exam for various states. Check out our website, reexampodcast.com, to see if we have audio lessons available for your state. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, please contact me by using the contact form at the website, reexampodcast.com. Keep studying.